it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. On this episode of the Tea with Mike show, uh, we welcomed uh, Rich Glow to the show. Um, Rich is a, a business owner, a, a DJ, and a music enthusiast. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Tea with Mike show. Uh, joining me uh, for this one is uh, Rich. Welcome to Tea with Mike, Rich. Thanks, Mike. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so welcome to the show. So uh, where do you call home? Uh, well, I'm in Red Deer, Alberta, so I uh, lived here since I was five. So this is pretty much what I know. My uh, my father was, was with Safeway uh, way back in the day. And by the time I was five, I had lived in six cities and he got sick and tired of that at about the same age I am now. And uh, we've been here ever since. So this is home for me. Okay. Oh, because he kept moving between different Safeways? Uh, exactly. Yeah. By the time I was... Uh, Five, I had lived in uh, Lloydminster, Saskatoon on two separate occasions, uh, Winnipeg and North Battleford, and then ultimately Red Deer. Awesome. And then, so do you want to start uh, by telling everyone a little bit of a broad overview of what you do? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a wealth of things that uh, we uh, partake in day by day. So uh, one of the primary industries I'm in is uh, retail and, and grocery. Uh, so back in um, 2005, um, we opened our first store in Black Falls. Um, and about five years ago, we opened a second store in Penhold. Um, now through everything that we've got going on uh, with our other businesses, uh, it just became a little much. So we sold Black Falls uh, two years ago this month. And uh, I've been in Penhold ever since uh, um, day by day. Uh, so I'm in grocery by day and by night we have uh, a couple of events companies. So we have uh, Alberta Fun Casino, which is a uh, corporate and uh, private party entertainment casino where we we bring Vegas to you. So we bring uh, slot machines and um, casino tables and lights and sound effects. And uh, we actually have uh, over 20 hours of live recorded audio from the casino floor in Las Vegas just oh, via okay. iPhone. And we just set it up on top of a slot machine and sit there for hours on end and, and get audio. And so we actually pump that into our events um, and create experiences. Uh, the other part of our events industry is, of course, glow. So we do uh, glow-in-the-dark furniture, um, glow-in-the-dark bars, cocktail tables, glow-in-the-dark swings uh, for photo ops. Basically, anything you can imagine, we actually have couches, love seat sectionals that are all glow-in-the-dark. Uh, and then, of course, I DJ. So that's kind of the... Uh, uh, completion to our events so we can take care of the the audio we can take care of the visuals we can take care of the experience uh, the entertainment the music so the, that's me the photo booth we can take care of and then we can also take care of the food through our grocery uh, business so wow. uh, basically a client can call us up and get an event taken care of from start to finish and only have to ask us to do it nice and then and then, so uh, you started working um, in retail at a very young age. I believe it was eight years old. So that's first off, that's a very uh, young age to begin work of any type. So, so, so I'm curious to know what you were doing at eight years old for work. Well, I was primarily reading Archie comics behind the cash register. But uh, <laughs> I worked for my father from eight years old until about 14 in, in his uh, first store, which was a, a much smaller store than the one we have today. Um, so his first store uh, was about 2,700 square feet. So it was a 
it was a full service grocery store in a compact footprint. So he took his experience with Safeway and, and applied it into a smaller setting. Um, so between uh, those six years there at that business, I ran the cash register. I would do everything that a stock clerk was uh, expected to do from rotate products, fill milk, check dates. Um, and I just, uh, I picked up on it. I left for a few years, the industry to go off on my own and um, went to manage uh, United Furniture Warehouse uh, store. And then I went on to manage a Leon's location and uh, then jumped back into my own business. And we began to open up businesses ever since. So um, the corporate structure is a very structured world, but it wasn't necessarily for me. I like the challenge of creating my own successes and uh, learning from my own uh, uh, experiences. So it's a much funner environment and I haven't looked back. Uh, fantastic. So uh, we've kind of already mentioned it a couple of times. So what role did um, your parents have in your early childhood and maybe even still today? Um, yeah, my, my father always discussed money. So um, we always had an understanding of how it worked and it was very important uh, to him. Um, and I've definitely found the same thing that I've been uh, talking to my kids about. And my my almost eight-year-old daughter is understanding what a value of a dollar means and how you have to work for it. And she's already begun to uh, save money. Uh, part of her school project this week was actually, uh, if you won $100, what would you do with it? What would you buy with it, she, uh, was the question. And uh, she had to write what she would do with it as part of her, her project. Right. And the answer that she ended up coming up with was saving it so it could be worth a million dollars. So I, I put it into a compound interest calculator and figured by the time she is about 10 years past retirement, it would be. So it, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it might need a little help from us, but you know, we, we've talked about investments and, and that sort of thing at, at the young age uh, that I was. And um, she is starting to show the same interest. So it's, 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 it's fun because it's something that not everybody has the opportunity to um, have those conversations with their parents, or maybe they're not as comfortable, but uh, it's right. something that we always, we always uh, saw eye to eye with. So my father and I um, definitely to this day still give and receive advice from each other. Oh, awesome. And then, so obviously, uh, from an from an early age, and um, you got a strong uh, parent influence, which helps you learn some from an early age some key components of life, like uh, finances, which you're passing on, um, to your daughter, etc. Um, uh, what sort of age did you, maybe your father and your family start talking about the uh, importance of community? Because I know that's something that um means a lot to you and is important to how you do business. Yeah, I, I, uh, I always saw the, um, the opportunities that came to the stores when I was younger. Um, Dad had a couple of small stores in the area at the time, and uh, no matter which store I was at, uh, he would get requests from the, you know, for community support, whether it was um, food bank or optimist groups or sports teams. And, you know, we had to... We had to sit and discuss those, even at a younger age, which ones would be a priority and, and which ones we maybe had to pass on. And the ones that always took priority were, were the local events or local organizations um, so that we could support the people that support us. So it took me a little longer to understand how that worked, how what goes around comes around. And uh, as I got older, um, you know, I realized the importance of being able to supply 
whether it, it's a door prize for a community-based uh, silent auction or um, or a uh, a food platter to a, a fundraiser. So you know those things were always important to us, and um, to this day we've uh, we've um, applied it in my store. Uh, pretty much everybody that comes in, as long as it's a local event or local local group, uh, I take care of. Awesome. We're going to dive a little deeper into that in a little bit. And then, so obviously, um, looking at your fa father's store early age, and then by the time you reach uh, 19, you you got into uh, retail management. Can you um, expand on that and how that opportunity came around? Yeah. So we were, um, uh, at the time, we were business partners back then. Uh, he since retired. Um, but um, at that time, he was building his first mid-scale size store, and um, I had went and worked for the construction company that was building that building. So I actually had my hands uh, involved in the construction of that store, um, and I realized very quickly that that wasn't the industry that I wanted to be in, that I wanted to obviously maintain in, uh, in retail and working with people. Um, so when, when we opened that store, uh, you know, it uh, really, uh, it took a while to get built. Uh, in the meantime, I had gone off and applied at a job with uh, United Furniture Warehouse, who was bought out by the brick uh, about a year later. Uh, and we had really transformed that store um, in a short amount of time. So I took over as sales manager at 19 years old, uh, quickly began uh, implementing some things that I had learned over the years at a young age. And we turned that store sales uh, around by 2.5 times in a matter of four months of me taking over. So uh, it took me about two weeks to get the offer for the store manager job. And um, yeah, we managed to uh, really bring that business back. And uh, from there, I wanted a bit of a bigger challenge. And Leon's at the time was, was um, or still is, uh, a, a large scale operation. Uh, and I had gone there managed uh, the customer service department for about three weeks, uh, then was given the assistant manager role, and then ultimately was offered a store out in Saskatoon. I never did take that job, which I was very, very glad that I didn't, uh, because that was at the time that we were opening the uh, supermarket. So uh, at just shy of 20, I jumped back into the supermarket industry, and here we are 15 years later, and I never looked back. So, so like, how did you, how did you cope with uh, pressures of retail management at such a young age, and how did you like get people to believe in your vision? Like, because obviously there's a lot of different and uh, different types of personalities and stuff, and I'm sure you got well, why should they listen to you at age 19? Yeah, good question. Um, something that I definitely faced at United Furniture was. Um, a different expectation of age and those who didn't know how old I was assumed I was older and those who did know how old I was um, really worked well with me they, they you know we had employees at the store on our team that were as old as 65 and everybody had a really good uh, relationship there and I took what I had learned from working with my family as a child and a teenager and applied it at a young age I look back now and I realized how little I did know about working with people, but at the same time, I also realized what anybody at any age can accomplish because there was no special treatment. I went off on my own, wanted to work with these companies and get 
an outside experience. And um, yeah, they, they, it, it worked well for me. And, uh, you know, the expectations from the employees was really result-based. You know, there was not the concern about my age. Um, it rarely came up. And when people did find out, including my district manager, at uh, <laughs> about six months before he found out how old I was, and then he just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, I never really brought it up because I didn't want it to be a, um, a hindrance in any progress or any opportunities that came up. And it, it never was. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you earned the respect because obviously it's a very results-based industry. So if you're getting the results, it obviously doesn't really matter what you look like and how old you are, et cetera. Well, exactly. And applying, again, applying what I learned from my father and my grandfather um, in retail, uh, some of the things were creating a bit more of a family-based environment. So in my business today, we have three or four different um, different family dynamics going on in the operations, where it's a mother-son or a, a mother-daughter and son, or, a, you know, there there are a lot of people that are relatives within the store, and um, we contribute that to the level of comfort that they have being in the store. We don't have the politics. If somebody has a question or concern, they come upstairs, they come to the office, or whether I'm on the floor, um, and we can resolve it right then and there. And, uh, you know, oh. doesn't have to be a, um, a complicated process. And, you know, what we've been blessed with is that I have had almost no turnover since we've opened the stores. Oh, wow. um, you know, in, in Penhold today, it's um, primarily in, uh, team members from when we opened the store five years ago. Wow. How, do, how does that make you feel as the captain of the ship? Uh, good. You know, it uh, it definitely uh, speaks volumes to um, the level of comfort that the, that the team has working in the store. And, um, you know, I'm not perfect and we're not perfect, but at the same time, we create an environment that people are comfortable in. And I think that's the most important thing um, is making, uh, number one for me, that everybody always says customers are, are number one. And number one for me is my team, making sure that they're comfortable and feeling safe and, and in, a, in a good environment. And when that happens, our customers come first because all of a sudden our, our team's focus changes from um, a task to a level of service. So our, our customer engagement and customer experience in the store is very high. Uh, people know our, our team, they know our names, and that means a lot. It's, it's not, you're not just a number, you're not just a transaction. Um, right. We get sure. to talk to these people on a daily basis. Awesome. And then so... We're going to talk obviously a little bit about um, COVID in a little bit uh, on both sides, uh, the retail person and obviously the DJ and almost the reverse effect it's had for you. Uh, but first, what are just some general challenges and opportunities of running a business in the retail space? Uh, uh, with, excluding COVID, you mean? Yes, and then we'll, we'll talk about COVID. For sure. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wild uh, wild industry. You know, I've seen it change. Um, I've been in the industry more than twenty years, and I've seen it change drastically over the years. Um, you know, you look back in the nineties or the two thousands, and everything was very service driven uh, to a degree. Um, but the competitive nature of retail has definitely changed with online you know, ship and click, uh, Amazon, all that sort of thing. 
you definitely have to earn your sales nowadays. You're not just going to be able to set up a retail uh, shop and expect people to come in. You have to provide an exceptional experience or exceptional service to keep those customers coming back. So we've seen everything from the margins change. And I mean, the margins have gone so far down in retail. Uh, but at the same time, you have to adapt and you have to be creative. And and that's the nice thing about having my own store is we don't have to um, go with a corporate structure, uh, right. such as my old days where there was a plan and you stuck to that. If we find a deal on uh, wh whether it's Power Wheels cars or camping chairs or uh, barbecues or office chairs, we use that and sell them in a supermarket. And th that is very uncommon uh, in our industry. And we, we call them in and outs. So we take every opportunity that we can. Um, you know, one of the latest items that uh, was really great for pulling people in was the Baby Yoda, the child yeah. plush doll. We're I a supermarket. I saw some social media posts about that. I was following it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the exact types of things that we try and do differently to bring customers in. Um, and I, I have had the fortunate opportunity to see over the last, uh, this go around, I guess, 15 or 16 years, um, how that works. And, and for the most part, I know what people are interested in and what they will want to buy. And, um, you know, we always come out with those items at a great price. Um, we don't, we don't take advantage of the child, for example, the baby Yoda being one of the hottest items of the year and jacking the price up, we sold it for a great price that was uh, to be expected from that product. So um, those are just one of few ways we try and stay on top of the game and, um, you know, following trends. So we've got one of the largest coffee selections in the country. Um, we are well over 300 flavors of curd K-cups oh, wow. right now, for example. And... Uh, that was something that we set or I set up about seven or eight years ago. I saw on Facebook, all my friends were getting these curry brewers. And, um, you know, I thought, well, there's a lot more varieties that we can pull up from the States. So we just started ordering from the States, bringing product up. And we quickly had to transform the store and actually create sections for these, for these uh, sorts of things. So we've had coffee sections and Dutch food sections and British sections and, um, you know, a, a lot of different products that people don't expect from a small town supermarket that sets us apart because everybody can sell dairy yeah. and milk and bread. Yes. But if, if you can create a different experience and a different um, shopping uh, habits or, or, or opportunities for people to buy, then, uh, you know, people talk about it and they feel comfortable with your business. Awesome. And then just going uh, back to that baby Yoda point, um, and even through all your years working in the industry, have you found that by not jacking up the prices and selling it at what what it by the, the margins that make sure you don't make a loss, but yeah. but and um, kind of keep the customer keep the customer happy? Have you have have you seen um, your number of uh, returning customers uh, increase? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of those opportunity buys we either uh, try and take advantage of when we find a great price on it. And if we can't find a great price on it, then we will actually go to the wholesaler or the, or the manufacturer and try and set something up one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, and again, this is how retail has changed. Back in the day, we actually had a video game section in our store where we would buy and sell, uh, or sorry, uh, we would sell 
um, you know, PlayStation and Xbox yeah. games. And what we would do is I had a contact at Future Shop in Red Deer, a Future Shop that's uh, since closed. I had a contact at Future Shop and we would make a deal with them where we would purchase the games from them. They right. would mark it up a couple dollars uh, over their cost. Uh, it would be extra sales for them. We would sell the product. And if we ever didn't sell through, we would just bring it back and they'd return it for us. Uh, so it allowed us to sell it at the exact same price that Future Shop or Best Buy was selling it for. But it also meant that we could buy the product locally, support people in Red Deer uh, at their industry and um, build good relationships doing that. Awesome. And then, so how important is networking and good relationships in the retail industry, the suppliers and distributors, et cetera? Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that I that I grew up around. So I def I always heard these names of people uh, for different companies. And um, you know, the nice thing about a lot of our suppliers is there hasn't been a lot of turnover over the years. You know, we've got chocolate bar reps that have been with us, or sorry, been servicing us for 20 years now. Um, you know, we've got our, our uh, pop, local pop reps that it's been the same face since the day I started. So oh, wow. it, it helps having those relationships because you're able to deal with somebody on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, personal level versus just picking up a phone and, and you're just a customer of theirs. So, and, it, and this is very similar to how we find our own customers. We know them by name. Uh, we know what they do or, you know, we know about their shoulder injury or, or their surgery coming up. And that's the different mentality between business and you know personal we're able to combine the two in a, in a good way awesome and then so i know community and fundraising is a big part of um the store and its identity and its brand so i know you do a lot of money uh, a lot of fundraising for the red deer food bank so how, first off how did you get involved uh, with fundraising for this particular cause yeah, so um, we've been involved with the Red Deer Food Bank uh, since day one. Uh, they are one of our primary focuses. Uh, we always uh, see a great value in um, working with um, services like the food bank that help people give a, a give them a hand up. And um, you know, for those that are in need, uh, you know, they shouldn't have the struggles of having access to food or fresh food or diapers or or um, hygiene products and uh, working with them allows us to actually get the product out there. We don't have the resources or the um, or the storefront to be able to fully help everybody, but the food bank does. It's a it's a destination for many. Um, so over the years, we donate all our we directly donate all of our um, um, any additional frozen product that we have or excess excess. Um, non-perishable food items, crackers, canned goods, that sort of thing. But we also set up multiple fundraisers every year um, where customers can work with us and we will uh, in turn make the donation on the customer's behalf. And as well in each one of those uh, cases, for the most part, there's a match day as well where we will also kick in additional funds. Um, so one of our latest uh, food bank uh, donations in a year, normally we raise about 75,000 in food or food-based products for them. Uh, one of our latest ones uh, in April was the uh, social distant dance party. Right, which so, I saw uh, a couple of live streams as you, you going to different neighborhoods. Exactly, yeah. So what that was, Mike, was uh, me working 
12 to 15 hour days uh, during uh, all the COVID uh, crisis. And I needed something to do or, and something to get my head off work. So uh, we did the, the fundraiser in a couple different parts. We did it in store, we did a, a food drive, and then we also did the social distance dance parties where uh, for a small fee or a small donation, I should uh, rephrase, for a small donation, I would come by in the back of the pickup truck with a generator, speakers, DJ equipment, lights, and uh, play a, a brief set on somebody's driveway. So we uh, we cleared that all with the city. We cleared it with the uh, local police to make sure that it was all on the up and up. And uh, so, yeah, we, we did this not for profit, not for even advertising. Uh, not once did we mention uh, my company's names or Alberta Cubed or IGA or anything like that. Uh, we just did it to raise some money. So uh, each time we set up, you know, we would be able to get 400 or 500 dollars um, plus. So by the end of those couple of weeks, we had 2,500 dollars from the um, dance parties in support. Another 2,500 dollars that we donated in food, and another 2,500 dollars that uh, we were able to get with our uh, community support through the cash register uh, with our customers. So all in all, that was a 7,500 dollar. Uh, donation rate then and there. And uh, as we kind of talked about before, that was about 18,000 servings of rice we were able to donate, um, just shy of 500 cans of tuna and canned fish um, and canned chicken, that sort of thing, um, and a few hundred cans of, of beans. And those are some of the items that the food bank needed the most. And the reason that additional food drive came up for us was because once COVID hit, all of a sudden, all the resources froze for the food bank. So people were stopped, you know, stopping by or having items to get picked up. It was Perfect. chaos. So their stock was quickly depleting and, and we, we took that opportunity to try and um, get out, play some music, get my head off things, but also do something that was uh, for, for the greater um, cause for, for those in need. Fantastic. And then also, not the main benefit, but the side benefit of a lot of these people stuck at home, like just having that little bit of normality, right? Yeah, it was really neat to see. Um, you know, when I set those up, I made sure to take the right steps to call um, the RCMP and let them know where I was going to be at. Uh, as well, I called the city and made sure that I'd be okay to play it on people's driveways. And and they said, yeah, you know, it's private property. They, you know, make sure to respect the uh, quiet hours. And I said, well, I'm going to be doing this from 7.30ish till 9, you know, at, at best. And they said, yeah, well, then there's really nothing uh, nothing to be concerned about here. So uh, setting that up was certainly unique because of the circumstances. We wanted to make sure that there was no public gathering and no uh, nobody coming close to the truck. So what better way to do it than just use the microphone? So I would roll up. I'd announced this is a socially distanced dance party and and people would dance from their front doorsteps or their driveways or the front of their sidewalk. And it was really neat to see 30, 40, 50, 60 people all out um, on their front step. And there was times where I did it in front of apartment buildings and you could see the entire wall of people from top to bottom just filled. Um, there was times where people were um, driving by and stopping. And, you know, you saw a lot of really... Uh, great feedback online and a lot of smiles came of it sure it's making a little bit of noise but at the same time we kept the volumes respectable we kept the times short intentionally and um 
we tried to pre-warn as much as we could. So I'm sure there may have been somebody that might not have appreciated it as much, but those who got to experience it, the feedback was incredible. Fantastic. And and so did you pick a random spot? So was it all a little more organized? Yeah, to start, to start, I did a couple just to get my mind off things. Um, originally, it didn't start as a food bank fundraiser. I just needed to do something. You know, I at that point, I think I was on day 45 in a row at 12 plus hours a day at the store because of the COVID crisis. Right. And I just needed something to to put a smile back on my face. And I love music. I am surrounded by it at all times of the day. I'm surrounded by um, great people that help me with these events. And I needed to be able to do something that could get my mind off it. So um, that's how it started. And then it quickly transformed into an opportunity to do something positive. Fantastic. And then so how, how has uh, COVID-19 affected uh, business operations on the retail side? Yeah, it, it's been wild. I mean, I've I've been in this industry over 20 years and I've never seen anything like it. Um, that's a given. You know, it. Um, I was I was scheduled to go to uh, Las Vegas on uh, what was it here on March the um, oops wrong way on the calendar here. I was scheduled to go to Las Vegas on March the 14th. Yep. And March 12th is when things began to change. March 13th is when everything hit you know, for the, for the chaos at the supermarkets. And uh, so I quickly, uh, fortunately canceled the trip uh, to Vegas uh, for multiple reasons so that I could be at the, at the store and support the team. And also, so I wouldn't have had to self quarantine for two weeks after coming back. So when that happened, we weren't necessarily uh, fully ready. We knew it was coming to a degree because we were able to watch the news and see what was happening in the, in other countries like Australia. Uh, but this is also the not the first time I've gone through a health crisis. Um, oh. So I was able to apply what I learned from, for example, H1N1 uh, on what some of those items were that would be um, people would be stocking up on. But it was nothing like the last one. You know, it was crazy. We uh, we got rocked. And as as good as it was that our events stopped immediately for our for our entertainment companies um it gave me the full attention at the store so uh on one hand i went from working 90 hours a week to working more actually just in one business so it was uh it was ridiculous you know the uh, the amount of demand that that happened overnight and when that happened of course that was a friday and by the time the trucks started coming in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they were already behind. And it was just a snowball effect trying to get product. So right. what would happen is our warehouse, for example, could pick about 90,000 pieces a day. Uh, the demand surged to 200,000 cases a day. So for every day that went on, meant another day and a quarter delay getting it out the door. Right. And that didn't mean it was just gonna be a day and a quarter delay. The trucks were getting two to three times the demand. So all of a sudden, within a matter of three, four, five days, we're having to restructure trucking schedules. And people are saying, you know, if if a truck comes at two in the morning, we're going to need a, a contact number to get a hold of you at because you just oh. didn't know when product was going to come. So all of a sudden, uh, once product began to catch up, we got rocked. And 
you know, we were dealing with three or four times the amount of order sizes that we would normally deal with. So again, the blessing in disguise is that we were able to take my, my events staff, my casino staff and my furniture staff, and we were able to bring some of them into the store and help uh -huh. us um, for the week or two. So what we would do is we would have our team at the supermarket stage the product where they'd bring it to the floor, they'd put it right in front of where it needs to go. And then my event staff, because they don't know the layout, would just have to look within a three foot section and yeah. fill it. So we, we took each punch as it came and um, you know it, again, being independent meant that we had to think a little differently. And that meant setting up about a dozen new um, import companies. So if we couldn't get flour from our main supplier, then we set up a, another company that would get us flour. And then we set up another company that got us hand sanitizer and another company that got us bleach. You know, we, we took the opportunity for us being small and applied it with instant, you know, reaction time to be able to get these items. So more or less, we ran out of almost nothing during all this. You know, we had yeast, we had flour, we had Lysol wipes, we had bleach. Um, and these were all the items that the local area or for the country for that matter, couldn't find and we had it available. And we put limits in place very, very early. Um, and again, it was, a, it was an educational process. We had to come out and produce videos online um, and say, you know what? we are gonna limit it to 10 kilograms of flour per consumer at this time, two packages of yeast or, or three Lysol wipes or one Lysol wipe or whatever. And, you know, it, for the most part, it went perfectly and everybody appreciated that that we did that. There was a couple consumers that couldn't wrap their mind around, we can't sell them 30 packages of toilet paper. Um, but, you know, being able to set up all those things really helped us get through. And one of the major things that helped us was local business. So. Okay. Um, we looked at it and said, who's, who's suffering right now? And local business was the ones that were really suffering in, in mid-March. So we picked up the phone and we called Wild Brew Kombucha out of Red Deer. We called Nixon Honey out of Innisfail. We set up accounts with, um, with uh, um, Troubled Monk for their hand sanitizer, All Clean Natural. Uh, there's a gentleman out in Delburn that produces commercial toilet paper. So oh, I wow. called him and I... I said, how much toilet paper do you have? And he said, I've got 1,600 packages. I said, great, what time can you be there? We'll be out with a truck and trailer. And so setting up those local um, accounts not only helped us fill the void and fill the need for the consumer, but it also helped, um, to what degree, I don't know, but it helped to a degree these local businesses keep plugging forward when they didn't have a storefront anymore to sell these items. So it was uh, really interesting how these local businesses froze, but then helped us uh, when we wanted to help them move products. So it, it was a really good situation. Fantastic. And so we're just going to uh, take a brief pause for a little tea fact. And so uh, the tea fact for the episode is that green tea is uh, touted to be one of the most healthiest uh, beverages on the planet. And it's loaded with antioxidants have many health benefits uh, which includes improved brain function, uh, fat loss, protecting against cancer and also uh, lowering the risk of cancer and this comes from healthline.com slash nutrition. So green tea we've got lots of it. There you go. So, no wonder you're looking so young. <laughs> That's right. 
Awesome. And then so so then on the on the flip side, so you so you've got the retail, you've got this uh, passion uh, for continuing to help local businesses and then and those suffering the most in the in the local community. But then you also uh, love music and the uh, entertainment industry. So how did you first become interested in music? Yeah, so I've actually been playing guitar since about 10 or 11. Um, I one day said to my mom, there was one thing my mom was always uh, very attentive to, and it was any time I said something was of interest, she would really throw a dart at, at it and try and encourage me to do it. Um, I had have two older sisters, and uh, uh, they were both out of the house at that point when I was uh, younger, because they're much older. Um, and one day I had said, you know what, I was thinking about learning guitar because I liked music. And um, next thing I know, there's a guitar and a, and a small amp on my bed and I'm oh. signed up for lessons. So I took lessons for a couple of years um, and I ended up going off and teaching for probably five or six or seven years teaching guitar until about, I would say, 23 or 24. Um, I would teach at studios and then eventually in the final days, I would teach in the basement. Um, but the... Uh, transition point was when my wife and I uh, we went to 11 weddings in 23 weekends one year and something that I picked up at each one of those weddings is there was always somebody from way out of town that couldn't drink or couldn't drive or or they didn't know anybody and I always had this passion for Vegas so at that point in my life I'd probably been to Vegas five or six times now it's well over 20 I've missed two two Vegas trips already this year that were booked. <laughs> um, but um, I said, we should set a blackjack table up and people could just play for fun. And so that is what we ended up doing. We ended up calling um, one of my friends that was getting married in um, Hannah. And um, I said, you know, would you mind if we set a blackjack table up at your wedding just for fun? Then she said, sure. And I was slammed. You know, we couldn't get away from it uh, all night long. And, and we thought, wait, well, you know, maybe I'll build a website and start marketing this. And at the time, it was a way for me to help pay the bills to put my wife through uh, college. Um, we had bought a house because she wasn't going to school. And with two weeks notice, somebody had dropped out of the nursing program. And uh, she got the call and said, you start in two weeks. And I said, well, we're about two months from moving into our house. And we're going to need to, uh, you know, supplement our income. Right. So that's exactly how we started doing it. So I started doing events where we would set up tables and it quickly grew. So we grew three tables, five tables, 10 tables. And um, we wanted to create an experience that people in town, whether it's Red Deer, Edmonton or Calgary, um, could go to an event and say, well, that was different. Um, the one thing I always looked back on is if I think about my own wedding, um, you know, I can kind of remember a couple things about what we ate. I don't really remember anything that was said, but I do remember how much fun we had. And, sure. and that was really where the transitional point was of, if we can create a memory of how somebody felt, you know, if they remember how good they felt at an event, that was the goal we wanted to achieve. So every year forward, we started growing and we, for almost a decade, every single year, we add a new service. Um, you know, we add slot machines or lights or sound effects or music. Um, you know, we wear a bow tie and white shirt and a black vest and, and look the part. And 
we will provide um, Vegas-themed trivia and um, Las Vegas-themed questions and bonus rounds. And basically, it's something that people just haven't experienced. And that's yeah. why we continue to grow, is we changed the way that the events were being done in town. And um, then we just kept reapplying. You know, like, hey, guys, if you don't want to do a casino next year, we've got this great glow-in-the-dark furniture, and we can set up an entire room, and it can be an ultra lounge. And maybe next year you want to use our inflatable pub. We've got a, a 30 <laughs> by 27 uh, foot pop-up Irish pub. And it's like an inflatable bouncy castle with no floor. So it's a it you walk up to it and it looks like somebody's got an Irish pub right in the middle of the hotel banquet room or right in the middle of the field. You know, so it was all those things that we were trying to do something different. Nice. Uh uh, and so, so because you kept um, mixing mixing it up, um, did did you see um, some of these uh, single customers become uh, repeating customers? Yeah, a lot of our customers are five or six or seven year um, customers. They get us at least once a year. Some of our customers get us two, three, four times a year to come entertain, whether it's for their staff or maybe their charity golf tournament or their uh, house party. Um, you know, we see them in all forms and it's really nice to know that, that they love the team. Um, and we also try and, uh, we, we've got about 60 staff locally oh, doing wow. events, and we try and pair those, um, clients with repeat faces because they're like a little family, you know, at the end of the day, our team gets to sit down, uh, with those people for two or three hours and have fun with them. You know, we we don't hire casino dealers. We hire entertainers. You know, we hire people that are fun, um, that that know how to talk to people, that get along with people, that know how to crack a joke in good humor, uh, that are quick to think about these jokes. And it, uh, it again, it's all about changing the way that they left that event, feeling going, oh man, that was fun. You know, that that's ultimately the goal. And and where that all began was was Las Vegas. You know, I just became obsessed with the lights and the sounds and the excitement. Um, not a big gambler, ironically. Uh, did it a little bit when I went there the first time at 21 years old. But uh, aside from that, I really just go for the entertainment, the shows, the music, um, the lights at the clubs, you know, and just it's just a breath of fresh air when you get there. But then you can hop on a plane and get home. And so if people don't have that opportunity to do that, or they can't, well, of course, they can't fly their staff of 30 or 50 or 100 down to Vegas. We can bring it to you. And that was the whole concept behind doing the events. Wow. Yeah. So uh, nice. So then how, it's a very smart concept. So then how did you get into uh, DJing a little more? Yeah. So because music was always a really uh, important part of my life growing up, um, I've always had the instruments around me. Um, and yeah, one day I... I had always been passionate about a lot of varieties of music, a lot of genres. Um, I grew up with long hair, playing in a metal band. Oh, awesome. Um, I have played in alternative rock, uh, but I've really enjoyed and found uh, love for, for dance music. So anything house-based. Um, I, I just love house music. You know, the, the energy that it brings and, and um, you know, you can dance to it. And it's just uplifting. And I guess that's the... Uh, exciting part about house music 
and it, we just started going to shows. You know, we started going to uh, local DJs. Uh, we started going to big name DJs. We started traveling. Um, my wife and I were always massive on traveling. We tried to go a few different places each year, except for this year. Uh, <laughs> we try and go somewhere every few months. And, you know, part of being in business uh, is, yeah, there's a lot of long hours, but the reward for me is having the flexibility of saying, you know what, we're going to go uh, to wherever for a week or we're going to go wherever for three years, uh, three, three <laughs> days for the weekend. And um, so, yeah, once we started to transition our trips, we began to transition our trips around, okay, well, there's a music festival there a week later, so we can go there, travel, and do a music festival. And so we started doing, I'm going to say, three or four music festivals every year where it's three days of just nonstop music. Uh, some people might think that's a bit much, but at the end of the day, a lot of the festivals we've gone to are eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different stages. Right. You know, they're 12, 13 hours a day that it's going. And if you if you're feeling a different vibe, you need a different genre of music, then you just go to that stage. And and those stages are themed. And again, with our events, every time we've gone to some, uh, one of these things, we've always taken away ideas on how to apply it to our own events. And I mean, even even this, we went to a uh, um, music festival in Atlanta in 2014, and it was called Tomorrow World. And we had the comfort passes, so the um, it was a bit uh, lounge pass or VIP pass, yeah. they call it. And we saw inflatable furniture. And now this is not inflatable, but we came back and I said, you know, I would love to have that inflatable furniture for events because it can be cleaned, it can be sprayed down, washed, whatever, it's waterproof. But I feared, you know, somebody's keys being in their pocket going through it. So we started looking into plastic production and um, we got in touch with a uh, manufacturer that was able to uh, apply their LED lights within furniture. So some of it was already being produced and we just bought it as it was. And then we also had that manufacturer customize some of the furniture um, that we have today. So again, every time we've gone somewhere, we've taken ideas away on how we can do it and bring that experience back. And it all comes back to how did I feel when I left that event and what made me feel that way and what did I remember? And uh, this was just one of the many ideas that we have taken away from something while traveling. Awesome, uh, uh, fantastic. Uh, so you, so you, so you, when you look like you're having fun, you're always uh, learning and evolving. So fantastic. So what, what are some strategies do you have for getting a crowd going of all different types of sizes? Getting a crowd going? Yeah. Um, just being human, I think. Uh, a lot of people with a lot of my team members even, for example, are maybe not as comfortable on a microphone. I have no issues picking up a microphone, um, whether it's in front of 50 people or, or 5,000 people. We do it all the time. And, and one of the things that um, I value is that even though we've got a team of about 60 doing events, uh, you know, during the Christmas season, we'll be able to do four, five, sometimes six events per night, um, doing Christmas parties and uh, corporate events. And again, that's all been because of our client base. It never started out that way. But the thing that I value is I will go to just about every single one of those events, um, pop in, talk with people, uh, grab the mic, do some trivia, do some jokes, whatever. Our, our team does a great job at it. But I like to stay involved because I know a lot of those faces over the years, a lot of those people. Um, 
And yeah, it's just talking to them and feeling comfortable on the mic or feeling comfortable in front of a group. Uh, it's really no different when you're playing guitar in front of a crowd or playing drums in front of a cloud, uh, crowd or DJing. You know, you oh. just have to be comfortable with your space and treat it like nobody's there. Oh, and you can even go further and say just like talking to our, a returning customer at your retail store too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it certainly does. You know, we uh, we have a we're we're blessed that we have a lot of um, local advertisers, so to say, for us. We have a lot of people that that share our 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 updates for for whatever business it is. Um, they're like little spokespeople for us because they've either experienced our service, experienced the store, um, and you know it's great customers like that that speak volumes over uh, other forms of traditional advertising. You know the word of mouth is really really strong. And ultimately, what's going to keep you in business through all these unexpected events like COVID coming up? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh, it's amazing all the things that we've had to adapt over the last few months with uh, uh, from PPE uh, uh, safety measures in place. You know, uh, one of the first things we did in March was apply the hand wash stations, uh, the one way aisles, um, the floor markers six feet apart. And we really tried to take the quickly evolving retail landscape and get it done right the first time. Right. And, um, you know, we were blessed that our numbers have been low uh, until recently. That has changed. Um, but we always try and be ahead of things. You know, I value being proactive versus reactive. So, you know, today, for example, we announced on Facebook on our on our supermarket page that our team will be wearing PPE moving forward. You know, and it's um, again, we recognize it's not for our, ourselves. It's for everybody around us, because without the customers, we have nothing, you know. So if the customers aren't there, right. then um, no then you're just another supermarket. No, no helping the community more. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And we need to do what's best for our staff. And again, uh, circling back to my comment, it, my staff is number one, making sure they're comfortable, and then my customers come next. You know, we need to we need to create a healthy work environment that people want to work in. And once we establish that. And and meet their needs with with um, you know whether it be uh, um, comfortable uh, cleaning procedures or or personal protection, um, then that transitions back into the customers coming in. You know, again, our staff our staff in a very similar manner to our our customers speak volumes for us. They they're out there, they're talking to people online, and and it really really does help us um, make people feel comfortable coming in. Fantastic. And then, so, um, what's the smallest crowd you've ever played for? Uh, DJing, you mean? Yes, DJ. Uh, well, it would be private events, I guess. I've I've done my own parties, and uh, you know, it it ranges from, I guess, it could be anywhere as low as thirty. Um, in October, I was fortunate enough to uh, uh, be DJing and actually closing out an event called Scream in Edmonton. So it's a uh, event put on by Budang, who's one of our great clients for our LED furniture. Um, and what we had done is we brought our pop-up pub, we inflated it, uh, we decorated it with ghosts and lights and smoke and um, grass, like fake grass and fake tombstones, and we turned it into a haunted house. And so uh, for me, 
loving dance music. It's such a blessing that we get to use our furniture in that industry. But at the same time, I was able to DJ that and close that event out. And that event had 9,000 attendees. Um, and uh, I was given the opportunity to be one of the three DJs closing on one of the three stages. So it was a pretty incredible experience. And uh, um, next week, actually, I was set to DJ at Chasing Summer Music Festival in Calgary. Um, that is an event that we've attended for the last four or five years, providing their VIP lounge with LED furniture. But again, through building those relationships with Live Nation, um, I was able to close at the um, Live Nation's uh, president uh, in Canada, Harvey. Uh, Harvey has a club in Calgary uh, called The Ace, and I believe that's the photo you may have used for, uh, yeah. for this talk. Uh, but that was one of those uh, experiences that I was able to set up just through having the contacts and um, uh, them knowing who I was. And so we put on a good show. We had a really good turnout at that event, and that just opened up the door into Chasing Summer. So Chasing Summer 2021, here's hoping that that's a go, and then I'll be there. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool to be able to dance and, and see the uh, faces on people that, enjoying your music and enjoying whether I'm playing my own music or or popular music you know it's it's a nice balance of both fantastic and then so you you kind of started going down this path so what's your favorite part about being a DJ uh music absolutely love it I you know circling back to your question about sizes of events if people are enjoying it you know, that's more than enough for me. It doesn't matter if it's 200 people or 500 people or 1,000 people. Um, you know, if people are dancing, that is what I love to see. You know, it, uh, it, it lets me know that I'm doing my job. And again, I like to get up there. I like to have fun on stage. I like to dance around, whether it's stand on the table, uh, <laughs> grab the mic. I don't, I don't talk too much on the mic when I'm doing a show. But, you know, it's, it, I still engage with the crowd. And... Um, um, you know, it's rewarding to know that they have fun listening to music. I would far rather uh, do a small event for music lovers than a large event as just a DJ that's hired. So, you know, I've, I've really put my focus on doing specialized uh, sets for house music, stuff that I'm passionate about versus me playing music that I'm maybe not as passionate about. I'd rather, uh, I'd rather change the focus to an event that is music based. Fantastic. And then, so what's, what's the worst part about being a DJ? Uh, well, not any, fortunately, this is not something I have to deal with anymore because uh, I don't really do as many private events and uh, I do more music festivals and house music, uh, but requests. People yelling <laughs> in your ear when they, they think you can hear and you can't hear. You know, the, the right. reality is, is it's very hard to hear up there on stage when you're behind the speakers and, um, you know, when you're doing an event that's that is based around music, you're not getting those requests because people are there to enjoy what you're providing, versus doing a um, maybe it's a corporate function where somebody might want to hear Spice Girls and the next person wants to hear Drake. You know right. that's that's that challenge and and that's the one I'm not as passionate about, uh, but that's definitely something that that uh, is going to have to change with all this uh, with 2020 evolving. You know we. Uh, We've already put into place that if I do do an event that is smaller um, and not specialized in house music, not a festival, that requests are not going to be shouted in in the 
DJ's ear or our team's ears or our artist's ears, um, they can text it in or they can use an app um, right. to make a song request. So again, <laughs> that's not something that happens in a, in a festival environment, but uh, it's something that is evolving and it does need to change. Interesting. And, and then, so obviously when things return to whatever the new normality may be, and it is probably obviously one of the largest impacts apart from travel has been on the event space, have you thought of a strategy on how you're going to pivot and, and evolve your uh, business to bring in new uh, business? Yeah, so uh, you're talking with the events? Yes, on the event side, yeah. Yeah, great question. So with the furniture, we've already experienced uh, bookings. We've seen a lot of traction with weddings. Weddings is not something we normally focus on. Um, because they they are smaller based events, you know we we like to do events that are a thousand people or two thousand people or three thousand people. Um, however, we will take uh, any business that uh, people want to work with us on. Uh, so weddings is something we've seen now. Uh, with the furniture, we have a complete overhaul of our disinfecting and cleaning procedures. Uh, we have PPE involved gloves when we're delivering it. Um, on the casino side, we haven't quite committed to reopening that yet, uh, and there's a few reasons. Um, mainly the PPE. So if, if customers want to do an event at this time, you know, there still is physical distancing involved. And with people crammed at tables, we're That's telling right. them yeah. at this point, it's mask, uh, hand sanitizing, or there's no entertainment. And, you know, that's where we're at today. It's not where we're going to be at tomorrow. But for now, if you want to do a, uh, one of those casino style events, there, there does have to be some change. Also, uh, and... And then, so do you think we'll see any permanent changes in the event space moving forward on maybe the, the way events are delivered? Oh, definitely. You know, um, there is, uh, we rent hand wash stations now. Uh, you know, that's something that we didn't even think of years ago. Um, but we've definitely seen the the needs change from what people need for their event. Um, and we've also seen Things even changed down to venues. You know, this has been a really challenging year uh, for some. We're fortunate in the sense that we were able to just put everything on hold, and that's okay. You know, we were able to get through and just let it ride out. Um, but there are other companies that um, take venues, for example, that have bills, they have mortgages, they have insurance, they have land taxes, and they still have to meet those needs. So. We've seen a lot of, uh, of changes in restaurants and hotels where all of a sudden that venue is no longer. Um, you know, so we are committed to working flexibly with our with our clients, uh, whether it's a date change that was affected by COVID. You know, we're being really easy to work with. Uh, no fees for changing dates. Um, if you if your date is in question, even you know if it's in October and they want to change the date. Again, we're saying no problem. Uh, their Christmas parties, if they want to move it till 2021, again, we're saying no problem. Let's move it forward. We don't want to be difficult to get along with. Right. But at the same time, I, I really feel for the businesses that don't have the resources to cancel 300 events like we did and, um, you know, to, to move forward with that. A lot of these smaller businesses, if they're canceling events, they're, all that money goes towards their overhead again like we said their mortgages or their their truck payments or their car insurance or whatever the case may be i i feel that pain however we are fortunate that we aren't a small guy and we are able to just let it ride 
And, and have you and have you found that most people are rebooking and they're optimistic for further down the line? Or yeah, there's there's still some hesitation. Um, you know, even today we are dealing with a couple different clients for December. Um, there there's still optimism that those events will happen. We're not going to penalize them if they if they do have to transition the dates because we we do understand you know the importance of it. Um, you know, and especially if it's a casino-based event, we have to understand that everybody's touching those chips and standing side by side. So, you know, we have different disinfecting protocols ready to go after events, clean the chips, um, you know, uh, clean the tables and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, we've seen some good optimism, but it still hasn't fully started back yet. Normally at this time of year, we're sold out for Christmas. Oh, wow. And right, right now we're just starting to see some bookings trickle in. So it's uh, it is definitely going to be an interesting 2021. We expect March, April, May, maybe to see a ramp up. Depends on how the fall goes, but uh, we expect a lot of Christmas parties to actually just hang tight and happen in the spring. Interesting, cool, cool. And then so like obviously very, very crazy life when when one industry takes a pause, the the other one uh, ramps up. So. In the few moments that you do have, what do you like to do to relax? Um, well, ironically, a, a lot of my relaxing uh, happens uh, to be playing music. So sure. I love recording music and uh, making music. But at the same time, I also am very social and very active. So this has been a challenge for me to adapt. Um, I love he heading out for a couple pints and some wings with the uh, buddies. Big golfer. Uh, have fortunately golfed more this year than I have in the last three years combined because of all the circumstances right. um, and travel, you know, so uh, tra not traveling is, uh, is certainly one of the hardest things for me uh, because I love to see the world, but you know, it's where we're at right now. So once everything's safe to do so, I expect that I'll be taking a few months off. Fantastic. And then, um, so as we come to the end of the show, um, I let my audience either leave the audience with, uh, sorry, my guests leave the audience um, with a piece of advice, or or they can uh, also flip the table and ask me any question that they should choose to do. So, absolutely, yeah. I'd uh, if if I was going to leave a piece of advice uh, based on my experiences, is think outside the box. You know, we try and do things differently. And we try and create, in any of the industries I'm in, we try and create an experience that is different than the expectation. Fantastic. And you, you would probably argue that that's what uh, helped you uh, stay in business uh, for, for so long is those unique experiences and then increasing the amount of returning customers. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. A pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me, and uh, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed the show, and uh, look forward to doing it again one day. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks for watching, and like Rich said, yeah, we we do hope you enjoyed the show, and um, if you enjoyed this episode with Rich, then uh, go explore some of the other episodes at, on my website at twowithmike.com. Thanks, Rich. Thank you, Mike. It's the Tea with Mike show.